God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Julia Cunningham to the show. Julia is a Sirius XM radio host and DJ. She currently sits as the morning DJ for Sirius XMU, their indie rock music channel. However, her big new assignment is co-hosting The Jess Cagle Show, a daily news and entertainment interview show highlighted by the many A-list stars and bright artists always floating through their studio. I met Julia when I sat in for a couple of different interviews while promoting Trial and Error on her previous radio show, L.A. Daily. We hit it off well enough that she told me to get a hold of her whenever I had something going on. Little did she know I was going to turn the tables on her and get her in as a guest on my show to talk about God for an hour. She's a Gracie Award winner, and I'm grateful that she's here. Welcome to the show, Julia. Oh my God, I'm so honored. Ooh. I never get to be the guest. I'm like, what do I do? You, you I, No, I saw, uh, as I was doing some research on your stuff, uh, like bio stuff, I saw that you've done a couple of podcasts, right? Have you hopped on some other people's podcasts? Yeah. You, obviously, you're doing it every day of your life, so there's no way you could possibly feel as comfortable in the guest <laughs> right. chair, but you're so comfortable in front of a mic. What you don't know I'm going to take over at like the 30 minute mark and then it's just going to be about you the rest of the time. I was about, I honestly <laughs> thought about writing a joke in at my my introduction uh, that was going to be like, I'm ready. I can't help it. She's going to turn it's, on me. It's <laughs> like by the end I realize I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I take over that? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. We'll get into a lot of the stuff about um, like how you discovered this talent in yourself. Sure. You know, where that'll kind of come out, I imagine. How did you... Like, how did the transition from your successful L.A. Daily show turn into co-hosting the Jess Cagle show? Like, what's what's going on right now, and, and why did you decide to move? Or obviously, it's a great opportunity to be with yeah. Jess Cagle, so maybe you just saw it as a really cool opportunity. Like, larger picture? Sure. I mean, one thing that um, we had to wrestle with is that we, where L.A. Daily lived, and prior to L.A. Daily, I was on a show called News and Notes, all within the umbrella of a, a partnership between SiriusXM and Entertainment Weekly. Right. And that was uh, the birth of one of my mentors, this woman, Sandy Gerard, from the SiriusXM side, and Henry Goldblatt and Jess Cagle, who uh, Jess was the editorial director of People and Entertainment Weekly, and Henry was the editor-in-chief of EW. Um, and when they launched this channel, I was still just working at SiriusXM. I was... The morning DJ on Sirius XMU, and I was being pushed more in what I would say a managerial route, working in the music department. Oh. And I just thought, I don't like spreadsheets. We had to go to this morning meeting at 9 a.m. every morning. And I was like, I hate this. Oh, and wow. I love the creative stuff. And I had studied in college film, and I was always a pop culture buff. And it was something in the back of my mind. I just didn't know how to tap into it. Yeah, And when Entertainment Weekly Radio was launching, I genuinely just submitted my resume through the company website. I didn't really know people on the talk side. And I did a series of demos and ended up really like risking kind of where I felt, oh, if I don't get this, I feel like I have to leave the company because the department wasn't, quote, thrilled that I was trying to leave and go to another department. Wow. Um, and I luckily took over as um, the co-host of this woman, Faith Saley, um, who is part of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and on oh, CBS cool. Sunday Morning and this incredible host. Um, 
And that's sort of how I started out. So I've had this close relationship with the EW family, although I never actually have been an Entertainment Weekly employee. I've always been a SiriusXM employee. And that's how I really got to know Henry and specifically Jess. We ended up getting to really bond over Comic-Con and all these other things. So uh, we found out around Christmas of last year, and this was not unusual that, hey, like the contract is coming up. We don't know exactly what's going to happen because now it's no longer just a Time Meek brand. It's a Meredith company, and we're not sure what's going to happen. And so um, they did maintain a portion of the relationship between the two. Dalton, Jessica, who hosts a show called EW Live, still is branded to Entertainment Weekly, and there's a lot of on-demand content. But um, the rest of the channel really went away, oh, wow. and it just happened to be at the time Jess Cagle was leaving People Magazine and Entertainment Weekly and looking, I think, for his next step of his career. And luckily he thought of me, and we were able to work together. And I was so thankful, not only for him, but just for the friendship that we've you know sort of gained over the last few years because of Entertainment Weekly and us getting to work together has been really great. Yeah, congrats. Thank that's, you. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. It's a, yeah. and, and it's uh, he brings an enormous wealth of connections. Oh my God. I mean, I was looking through what that guy's done. I, I was just, I mean, like, you know, I kind of know a name here and there. And right. I, I've never really been at the level where I was coming in to, to, you know, to talk to Jess Cagle. But like, I was just like, wow, this guy, I mean, and you know, he's obviously he's got, he, he brought in Julia Roberts for his first, you know, yeah. which was, a, you know, fireworks for that. He so has do quite you... the Rolodex, but I, I will also <laughs> say like I, from, you know, jumping right into uh, working with someone like Faith and then I had this incredible co-host, this guy named Mario, who um, I love dearly and is um, actually a screenwriter now here in Los Angeles. Um, I learned a lot just sort of on the job of it, but I've really learned in these last few months working with Jess, like what it takes to really produce and to have the editorial mind of it and like what's important. And it's not about you, it's about the larger picture. And I've learned more sort of in my time just working directly with him than the time I had been doing just flailing around in deep waters. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's been that's very great. rewarding. You're probably underselling yourself a little no, bit. Oh my God. But, but, uh, but no, that's great. I mean, I can only yeah. imagine when you're around somebody that's been doing it at so many levels. I mean, somebody that's uh, been a, I mean, he was the executive director or no? Yeah, what he was, was the he? editorial Edi director. That's right, right. So he's very high level positions on both yeah. print, the print and he's like, he was like uh, essentially the spearheading of championing the, the kind of multimedia platform right. rise of these things. So very cool and yeah. congrats to you. I do have one tiny question. So your your show News and Notes is the show with which you won the Gracie Award yes. for, right? Yeah. And so you must have been just getting started. This little story you told about how you're not sure if you would have gotten the job and you would have had to leave Sirius totally. turned into News and Notes almost directly, like yeah, almost immediately. Yeah, pretty much, And then yeah. you got an award Right, yeah, for within it? our first year, um, one thing that I- That's some I, wonderful feedback. Totally, and I so, I mean, I still, I have my Gracie Award oh, in, my, sure. in my apartment here in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and it was one of those things where um, I guess you sort of learn more with getting the confidence of it. Um, I The thing that I won for is that I actually did a, like a huge deep dive into the world and life of Nile Rodgers because this is a, a musical figure that has been sort of behind the scenes for a lot of his career. Um, he was in that band Chic, that was the disco era, but he produced David Bowie and Madonna's oh, wow. Like a Virgin and like is this epic huge producer, but... 
was not as well known, but sort of had a resurgence when he appeared on that song, Get Lucky, with Daft Punk, which was oh. the hugest song at the time. And I started realizing, oh, wow, a lot of people don't really know who that man in the dreads who's playing the guitar on on stage with that band, who that is. So I did a deep dive into his whole life and career up to that point, and that's what I won a Gracie Award for. I know. Well, that's great. Yeah, I loved it. That's great. Well, it's, it's uh, look, you know, you were credited by... You know, seeing uh, seeing the hidden gem. Totally. And so that's great. Well, yeah. You know, congrats. Um, let's talk about God now. Let's but first we talk about breakfast. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast this morning? You know, I have to say, because I am clearing out our refrigerator because um, newlywed and my husband and I are heading out. We're oh, doing- you just got married? Yes, I got married two months ago. I didn't know that. Yes, just got married. Newlywed. Congrats. Thank you. That's so great. Yes, and so we decided to do our honeymoon over the Christmas New Year break because you just, you get so much time and yeah. no one even knows you don't have to really work about- Worry about work coverage, whatever. Well, else. and then your show was just launching. That and our show was just launching. Really I felt weird, like, oh sure. man, but everyone kind of shuts down around the holidays. Yeah. So we're actually leaving tonight um, for our honeymoon. We're going to Australia. Oh my gosh! And I so got I you to, in just under the wire. Yes, totally. And so I had to clear out my fridge. So I ate a piece of pizza. Sure. I had some leftover salami that was just like leftover from we had a cheese plate earlier this week and like seven Solid. Christmas cookies. <laughs> What was the piece? What was the slice of pizza topping? You didn't want to put the salami on the pizza. You know what? It was afterwards when I was like, "Oh, I need to just throw out whatever else we have." Oh. Like, where's this milk? I was like, "Oh my god, I just have like a Ziploc bag of meat." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This is disgusting," but then I was like, "I'm still hungry." <laughs> Well, fantastic. There's no better way to get ready for a honeymoon than to really, really to really like, fridge. yeah. And then also just like get a lot of vitamins and yeah. minerals and proper like eating for the long trip. Exactly. And, um, well, you'll be in Australia though. You can, you're doing it right in that you're not taking your honeymoon trip as a, like it's time to go to, you know, Nepal or something, right. you know? Like, make it easy on yourself. Exactly. You're in a beautiful, easy place. Are you going to stay? Are you going to do a lot of, like, movement in Australia? Or are you going to kind of hang in a couple of small areas and make it a we little are, key? We're, we're bopping around a little bit. We're starting in the northern part because we, we figured always on a trip, start with beach, end with beach. So we're starting to Very lay around smart. for a couple of days. And then we're, like, going into Sydney. Um, and then we're popping over just to Auckland for, like, two days on our way to Tahiti to do another just like four days of beach and Beautiful. then fly home. And that's like the halfway point on the way. So we're, we're trying to like make our way back full circle. Okay. So just real quick, uh, your wedding was two months ago. So yeah. was it a big wedding? Did you, was it, or was it a heavy involvement wedding? Was it a location wedding? We, we did it here in Los Angeles, actually in Malibu. We basically rented this woman's estate and our families got to stay with us in the house on the property and we got married um, on the grounds there in sort of like the wine country of Malibu. And uh, there was maybe like 120 people, okay. I think. Yeah. People flying in from other places. Yeah, a lot Where of are you East from Coasters. Originally? I'm from Indiana originally. Okay. Um, and so my family came into town, his family from uh, sort of like the Jersey, Pennsylvania area. Cool. And a lot of our East Coast friends, we both had lived in New York, but a lot of California people as well. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So, um, the question that always kicks the show off yeah. is how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? And although I want, I do want you to go there, one quick question I have that could kind of 
angle me towards it is, did you have any religious uh, representation at your wedding? Well, so actually, so, and we'll probably dig in on this. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Happy. I just kind of wanted, while yeah. we were still on the marriage thing, I wanted to totally. just kind of ask. Um, my husband, who is not um, a churchgoer in mm-hmm. any ways, there was never a discussion or on both sides. We knew that we weren't going to do a church wedding, but I did want to representation there um my father is a theologian and right, you so you mentioned this to me i can't wait to hear about this i you know and i had called my dad to let him know that steve and i my husband that we were living in sin prior to the wedding totally had to call him and tell him that we were moving in together oh sure um but i didn't even think about telling him that we weren't gonna have a church wedding so i think he ultimately knew that but we wanted uh that represented with him being part of the wedding and so he did a reading um, he did a Bible reading during um, our ceremony, which we just had a friend officiate. Okay, that's beautiful. So um, uh, we had a similar thing. We we yeah. had a we had a um, a friend, the friend who introduced us actually mm, officiated nice. the wedding. Yeah, blind date. We were blind date. Oh, I love that. So how and when were you introduced to the idea of God? How you know, did it happen? I mean, my my parents are religious. I come from a family, obviously, of that because my father is a theologian. Like it was, I I don't have specific early memories of, but I have a story, I guess, where when we were really young, we all, it was always Sunday church. And as we got a little bit older, it started becoming our tradition of going to the five o'clock mass on Saturdays Mm -hmm. and then doing family dinner afterwards. Um, But my parents always tell this story where I refused to go to Easter Mass one time when I was like, you know, a little bit older than a toddler. I was probably like five, something like that. And my parents were like, you need to get dressed and we need to go to church. And I said to my dad, well, you're going to be disappointed when you get there because God's not even there. And my parents were like, oh my God, that's so... Like, that's so intense. And also like, what do you, wow. Her understanding, like she kind of got that, you know? And so I have like a memory of just my parents relaying that story to me. Um, but I guess it was just something I, it was always part of our family. Okay, a couple of basic questions. Yeah. Do you have siblings? Yes, I have an older sister. Okay, an older sister. And then also was the, were the services Catholic? Yes. Okay. Well, actually it's funny that you say that because we um, would always go to Catholic mass, especially once we got older, but we also went to um, a Greek church growing up. Oh, Greek Orthodox. Yeah, a Greek Orthodox church. And, and but it was actually not fully Greek Orthodox because it was um, like a, a Greek Christian church, um, but it wasn't fully Catholic or anything like that, but Eucharist, everything that was done there. Right. That we well, that's, that's actually, I talk, uh, I have a conversation with a friend of mine, Nicholas Masu. His family is Syrian and he was raised in the Antiochian Christian Orthodox yes. church, which is basically Greek Orthodox, which is basically, there's an enormous amount of similarity. And I, he educated me even more so about how much similarity there is between the Catholic and the Orthodox. So Anyway, I would um, I can imagine yeah. that you had a similar. It didn't feel all that no strange to and you to go to it that was, church. I think it was actually more fun for us as kids because um, my family, my mom is an artist, and I feel like one thing that my parents really loved about it is that there's beautiful artwork and it's mainly chanting versus like real forward singing. Okay, and I remember my mom always being like, "Oh God, they've brought out the hand the hand bells or like the acoustic guitar for like you know traditional Catholic church," whereas this was incense and artwork and chanting and outfits. And it was like so much more fun. Kind oh, cool. of, you know, cool. Yeah. So those years were what years of your childhood? You, you most think? of my child, I would say pretty much like five on until 
um, probably like mid high school when um, we were going to Catholic high school okay, and we yeah. started like re- going to a regular, we, we went to, I shouldn't say like a regular Catholic church, but we went to the University of Notre Dame who has like a massive basilica and we started going there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I went to Jesuit uh, upbringing mm. myself. I went to, um, I mean, basically Catholic education my entire life. I went to co-ed Catholic education, then high school was all male and then college was also Jesuit Marquette mm. University in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, did you go to uh, a religiously affiliated university? Um, yes. Well, I went through high school, um, and then I went to Notre Dame. Oh, you straight up went I to went Notre Dame? I went straight up to Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, right right on. So so your parents were devout, though, or are devout. Yeah. And remain for, so. Uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They absolutely, they still go to church every weekend. Um, my parents are both tour guides at the Basilica oh, in Notre wow. Dame. But um, they know I don't go to church Does he now. teach at Notre Dame? He did. He's retired now. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, taught and ran the theology department for years. Wow, that's a big job. Yeah, he, he did mean, it. He, he really did it. So does he, did he participate? Does he participate in like national conferences of bishops or things like that? Is he one of these guys oh, that would like help sure. push, push modern theological thought? I don't know if he modern, but he definitely some of his specialties were Thomas Merton specifically mm. and um, saints, and he would go give talks and lectures for sure and yeah. travel. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay, so we're near the first break. Uh, let's just like stop here, and then we're gonna uh, we'll dive a little bit more into like your upbringing with it, and as you sort of began to you know you clearly started as a five year old, you were you were coming hot out of the gate, and uh, let's see where it kind of goes from there after the break. Perfect. All right, everyone, we're back with Julia. So at five, you articulate this antagonist is too strong, but it's yeah. it's a confrontational energy about what you're doing. And you're exactly. not at five, you know, it's not a high level thought, but you know, you're not necessarily entirely on board with this. Yeah, I was like, something's not right. How did that start to come about? Like, you know, you were Catholic, so you went through confirmation at some point, right? I went through confirmation. You're going to Notre Dame. Um, did you go to an all girls version, a uh, high school version of Notre Dame? No, no, no. It was, it was mixed. Is Notre yeah. Dame is, is, is co-ed? Yep. Oh, it's not Jesuit. Yeah. So. I went to, um, it's St. Joe high school. Okay. Yeah. So how do you, how do you play this game with yourself as you're kind of navigating through your, at what point do you start to have more adult thoughts about how you feel about this? And how does that manifest in your relationship with your parents? Do you kind of hide it? Do you just sort of keep these thoughts to yourself for a long time? Do you do you have an active sort of confrontation to some extent at, at any point in those years? You know, one of the things you reference is um, that you, you know, you obviously felt some sense of burden when you called your parents to be like, we're living in sin. Yeah. Now, clearly you're an adult, right? Like you're, yeah, I, was I, don't, like, I don't know how uh, old you are. Which, but by I'm, the way, they didn't even care. Yeah, right, right, right. By this like time. pressure on me, you know, yeah. Yeah, but there's still that <laughs> feeling of like, you don't want to, um, you love your parents, clearly. Yeah, it's still like, my it's, parents, it's, You know, yeah. yeah, you don't want to disappoint. Uh, so yeah, do you, can you speak to like sort of where that arc, how it sort of continued from, from a vocal five from five to, on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, one lovely thing about my parents considering um, my father was seen as a known figure um, in that world and he is a noted scholar and he's, uh, you know, brought into other universities and travels the world. 
they really, outside of us going to church, and it was always understood, even if I went back home to visit or stay post-college, whatever, you know, we go to church on Saturdays or we do this or that. Um, but it was never, it was never pushed on us and it never felt like, um, it was something I had to rebel against, which I think makes it better because I grew up with a lot of, um, you know, very Catholic families that had to do the rosary at night or whatever else, you know, and we, and I, they're doing the rosary every night, you know, and, and that kind of stuff, which is like, can be really intense, especially for young people who are still figuring out who they are, what this is, or whatever. And I'm very drawn, I think, to the world of theology and religion. And I think there's a lot of things that I disagree with, you know, internally of of teaching with the LGBTQ community and, um, you know, other things like that. But I do get as I get older, and now that I'm married, and, and I have a husband who is also not a churchgoer, but I've said to him, like, if we have kids, they're being baptized. Oh, wow. You know, and okay, like, those sort of things are important to me. Also, I think for the legacy of my family, like, I want my kids to know that this was something really important to this side of your family. Even though I'm not really a churchgoer at this point in my life, there is something in the back of my head that is like, but I believe and I do meditation or prayer or whatever else when I when I do, but it's it's not in the forefront of my life, I guess, but I've never left it. Interesting. So yeah. meditation and prayer, do you think you do you think you still um embody the same spiritual kind of teachings to some extent as sort of Christian centric, do you think when you meditate? Do you think there's you no know, I'm you know, I mean we're this is the wonderful this is what I love about this show, right? Like yeah. these you open up this book and the the spectrum of the way we all try to navigate these very difficult feelings and thoughts. To me, it's fun to see how one connects to another. Do you, clearly you're talking about like, well, you've left maybe Christian dogmatic teaching to some extent. You're referencing some thoughts about, you know, secular rights and ethics versus what is considered moral in certain Catholic teachings or whatever. But when you say meditate, do you, do you think it's, is it Christian to some extent? I'm sure it is because I think there's a lot of um, growing up when it comes to prayer and meditation. You know, you use prayer when you're like, I promise if you, if I get this, God, I promise I won't do this anymore. Or please just, you know, it's like you're you're jumping forward when you think you really need it. And as I got older, it was sort of, you know, as as cheesy as it sounds like, the, the everyday things in your life that are really great to be thankful for and to to realize that there's some sort of higher being helping you, guiding you in a way, became much more of my thing. And once I started doing actually yoga, really, cool. my favorite part was the meditation part at the end or um, certain sort of styles of, of yoga that you go to. I always found that the most calming. And I think my mind would wander the same way my mind started to wander when I would start thinking about the larger picture of being thankful for things was the way that my mind would go when I was meditating. So I think there is something about that that has pulled me there. I also think like my dad meditates every day as well. And the man that he really studied and and really knows his work is Thomas Merton, who really pushed that you should study other religions and find your path to your own religion. And I guess this is right, just Right, he's a very inspirational very Christian inspirational figure in, in particular, figure. but just a, a spiritual leader and, you know. Absolutely. And 
you know, those sort of things, I think as I get older have made me realize what I'm doing, you know, like, oh, am I like, would I have thought a decade ago if I had kids to baptize them? No. But now as an adult, as I've gone through these different phases, I'm like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, that's really. And what does your husband say? He's like, because to him, it sort of doesn't mean anything. So he's like, fine, yes, if you need to put water on a baby. You know, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> it's what was more his... than that. <laughs> but he totally understands, and he's very respectful to it also. What was his upbringing? Did he have a religious upbringing? He didn't really have a religious upbringing, and I think he's to the place where, I mean, I don't want to speak for him in the sense of being right, like, he doesn't to... believe or whatever, sure. you know, and what his journey was. But I don't think he was ever, you know, he didn't go to Catholic school. It wasn't really instilled in him. And he has close friends that I, I had asked him one point when we were dating. I was like, oh, I'm surprised you're not the godfather of their kids. And he's like, well, because a godparent is someone that's supposed to also guide them in faith, and they know I'm not that person. Yeah. So he's well aware sort of of that placement and like what those words godfather godmother mean yeah i um uh didn't baptize my son Mm -hmm. and um and my family i'm the middle of five children and my uh oldest brother has two children and they his wife was raised lutheran and so they have raised their children in in a lutheran church my brother andy is the second eldest and he has six six children and um which is like how he talked I mean, wow. how he topped my five children yeah. nuclear family uh is insane i mean they're all wonderful but it is total mayhem they're yeah, a travel they're say, a traveling circus yeah uh it's really great but as, um, as a person who used to babysit catholic families yes <laughs> yeah oh they're amazing but um but they're they're their own show i asked um a couple of my siblings to be godparents. And I, I feel like this is a word, this sees, so some part of what I like to, you know, what I'm interested in, why this show is something I love, is that I, li- I think that when we can take some of these things that are meaningful, that not necessarily, I think some people would under, you know, if you're Catholic, I can imagine that they would be like, no, you really shouldn't be a godparent if, if you're not Catholic. Yeah. Or not religiously affiliated, or whatever that is. I, I kind of disagree. I, I feel like... There's something um, you can be a guiding moral force for oh, a child, for sure. whether or not. And I think it's fun. To, I think it's a beautiful term to say godparent or godfather. It has meaning to me. And so I did choose siblings to be godparents, even though he wasn't baptized. And so I, it's sort of piecemeal, right? We're like I'm sewing the tapestry together. Yeah. But um, I say that only because I think it's important to try to find the things that are, can be like. We can reclaim certain things if you don't feel you have a necessarily direct anchor in a deep religious connection to that specific right. religion. So, so something you're talking about, right? And like baptizing your child is a big deal. Yeah. You know, this is a big deal. It's a big statement. You'll have to say things that are pretty big. Yeah. And I'll have to like go to church before. I can't just like walk in and baptize the baby. We'll right. have to commit. Right. You'll have to go through and, and sit with a priest, right? Yeah. For some time, don't yeah, you? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think I have to also like find the church of West Hollywood or whatever. <laughs> but you're, but it's something that clearly has meaning to you. That yeah. The process isn't intimidating. It's actually something that sounds like you're kind of excited about. Yeah, To no. some extent. I mean, but, I, yeah. I don't want to align you with it. And also, we don't have any children yet, you guys, yes, so don't worry. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I don't want to put extra know. pressure on you. <laughs> Down <laughs> <But> the road. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But the idea being that you're open to the idea. and yeah. And something about maybe even the marriage in particular uh, inspired some of this, right? Like just the, yeah. the, the thought of coming together with someone. Has that... Well, I think that is like... 
Yeah, it's so funny because people keep asking us because we're only two months, almost three months, you know, married, where they're like, has, you know, like, how is it? Like, what's different? I'm like, nothing. Like, it feels the same. But in a weird way, it's like, no, there are things that have changed. I just can't, I can't put my finger on it. Right. Well, yeah, Yeah. you're in the beginning of articulating all of that. Yeah. Um, And it's a big, beautiful journey. You know, when you meet people, when you're, uh, I don't know how old you are. Again, I'm, I'm older than you, but uh, you know, when you're someone that's established in your life, you are clearly an established professional. I'm sure he is too. When you meet at that stage, uh, it's not like it was for you know my parents when they met very very young and right. they didn't even really have legit jobs. Like they were just kind of scraping together whatever they could, and they their the careers happened in tandem with each other. Things like you know commingling finances and purchasing something someday. These types oh, yeah. of things are all ahead of you. You know. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy because we're still at the thing where, um, like, the idea of changing my name. Oh, you know, because right. even now, right, um, right, this is you a know, big deal for you like because the, you have a yeah. you have a public personality. But also the concept of you know changing your name back in the day was because it's not like today where you have to get your whole your whole life is your name. You know what I mean? Mm. Like. Every bank account, every, your social security, like all these things. And I'm like, it's not that I don't love you, but I just don't want to go through the hassle of having to change a million <laughs> things. <laughs> my wife, uh, I had no pressure in this whatsoever. Yeah. My wife decided at a certain point that she didn't want to take my name. And it was not easy for her. It was quite a hassle. And also she had already been established as a photographer right. by that point. And for a year or two, she had her old name link to her new website name yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But it's a big decision and and it has to be something that obviously you you're really into. But are you it sounds like there's a part of you that is kind of intrigued by the idea of taking his name. Yeah. I mean I think there's something really nice and traditional about it. Um he also has a difficult Ukrainian last name. Oh, okay, wild. All right. Of that, course. Like, um, <laughs> that also makes me nervous because everything that we were doing with the wedding They'd always be like, what's that last name? And then they'd be like, you're not taking that, are you? And I'd be like, I know. <laughs> and I was joking. I'd be like, he's forcing me to. He's not in any way. Yeah. But I think there was something traditional about it. But but yeah, but also like professionally, I would keep my name because that's what people know me by. Right. So yeah, yeah this is it real... is, I am, we're undecided at this moment. It's a debate and yeah. you're at the beginning. But, yeah. uh, you know, these are big, these are big things. Yeah. So do you think that, I don't want to, Having had a child, I am even more self-conscious about talking to people who haven't had children yet about it. So I would like yeah. to leave that as what all we've said about it at this point. You, yeah. you have your own journey with that. Um, and maybe That'll years- be part two down yeah, the road. And maybe years for... down the road after you have a child, we'll come back yeah. and you can talk about how you baptized him or her. Do you see a part of you though, say you don't have a child for years, say five years or something, or never. Do you see a path forward where you might actually start going- to religious services without it. You seem open open to it enough right now. I wonder if you would, if you see, if something has clicked now. Right. In a very seed-oriented way, it sounds like. You know, you're at the beginning of this journey. But it is a big adult step to marry. It's a big reality reorienting. And I wonder if something has happened on a larger scale for you in that way. That's interesting. I, you know, honestly, I don't know if I would. Mm. I think um, the memory of it and the things that make me think, oh, maybe I would go to versus actually walking into a church and sitting in a pew and going through a mass. 
I think are not like what I'm looking for in life or I feel like it'll be, I don't want to say a letdown because that's not quite the right phrasing, but it'll be different than what I imagine it to be. I like the memories that I have of the Greek church that we would go to as a youth. And that was like really fun. And I liked all the people and there was a lot of children and it was really great. And I know that's not going to be captured in something for me as an adult. And I don't think I would seek it out if I didn't have something sort of pushing me to go there. Hmm. So something we we have to get back to. I left it, uh, we took a, a tangent, which was totally great, but I want to get back to childhood a little bit or yeah. young adulthood. It sounds like you had a a relatively positive experience with your religious upbringing for quite some time. For sure, yeah. But at a certain point, you must have made some sort of consci- a conscious decision to be like, I'm kind of putting this down. Yeah, I think it was probably by the time I got to high school where I was in a more traditional... I mean, it was pretty traditional, our high school, you know, uniforms mm-hmm. and going to religious services. And there was a really wonderful priest that worked there. His name is Father Mike. And I actually worked in a dining hall through my high school years that was um, this building at Notre Dame. It's called Corby Hall. And it's where the priests live. Oh, okay. Right and so on. I worked in this dining hall where the priests lived. And I knew many of them because... Um, because of my father and just having grown up sort of on campus and just knew many of them in that way. Right. You were a, you were a kind of beloved family to them. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so, and they were all, you know, wonderful and they were great. And it was like a really fun experience having friends and just, you know, we're just working like one of my first jobs and it was very easy by the way. (laughs) And it was fun. And, And being at Notre Dame, you're really surrounded by a really positive look at the Catholic faith in many ways. And having that experience was very positive. Um, but then when I think you get sort of outside of the sheltered community that you live in and you see the flaws in the larger picture, I think that's hard to ignore. I think it's easier when you're young and you're swept up in something versus looking at a larger thing where it's like, but why is that? And what about, why do they do that? And why was that covered up? And, you know, those sort of larger things, I think, definitely took the shine off of what I saw growing up, for sure. You continued on to Catholic University, though. Yeah. I mean, again, our uh, upbringing is relatively similar. I mean, I again, I continued uh, into Marquette University, and I really enjoyed my Catholic upbringing for quite some time. And I was a very devout young child. And mm-hmm. in college, I wavered between times where I was trying to like get get deeper into the faith because I could feel it slipping away to some extent. And then there were times where I was like, no, I've really got to start to shoot out a different way. Did you engage with this question for some time or did you just kind of, is this, once you got to college, did you start kind of putting it aside? Was it easy for you to put it aside or was it something that you like maybe had some agony over at different times? No, I think like once I got to college, it was so easy to put it aside because it's like the first time away from home, but still in the bubble. I mean, my parents live within walking distance of the university. I mean, oh, wow. you know, you could walk home in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And even my high school, from chemistry, you could see the Golden Dome. You know, the high schools are literally right across the street from the campus. Right. So it's just such a large part of my sure childhood. It's a dominating um, yeah, it's, architectural. Yeah, it's the big thing. Right, and it's a beautiful, yeah, it's a gorgeous it's, architectural piece. If you've piece. never been there in the fall... 
you've got to go. Yeah, I bet. You got to go. It's gorgeous. Beautiful. Um, and it was and it was great, but I think once I got to college and I was able to do quote what I thought I wanted to do, do you know what I mean? Where you're just like, wow, I can stay up late and watch movies all the time and whatever else. Um, and outside of having to do, uh, I believe you have to do a certain amount of credits of theology or whatever, doing an intro class and something different and maybe a philosophy class or whatever. I didn't do much out besides that, you know, and I didn't go to church once I got to college at right. all maybe every once in a while for something but um i will say i i haven't in a long time but i would always still go um to the masses around easter which because they're just they're beautiful um i always like right. the, the, the very the, mo- the most uplifting time of the, the year most uplifting time of the year i also i guess the goth in me i always loved um were the, you a goth kid not like a goth kid but i've always <laughs> liked you know the darker stuff and cool. the more morbid stories or whatever oh okay I, interesting I, I did like i loved the moment and you know churches do it differently the the almost 11 p.m or midnight mass of when um christ is basically put on the cross because it always was right this part not so uplifting not I so uplifting but it, but it was always it was always scary to me as a yeah. kid and it seemed thrilling in a way because you're in these huge churches and they turn out all the lights. And it depends on what type of church you're in, um, but at like the Basilica, everyone bangs the pews to make the sound of of the fighting. Of, wow. Like, and it was always I've so crazy. I've never been a part of and something And then, like oh my God, it would give me chills and then it goes silent and a single, like the priest walks back in with a church, with a, with a candle lit. And it's the only light in the church. From this giant church, this one tiny candle that he's walking back up and it was always like so theatrical and yeah. over the top and, and I, I'd always be like oh my god are we gonna go to that one where they bang the pews you know yeah, growing up yeah. it was so exciting um, and cool. churches do it differently wherever you are but I always thought it was very dramatic yeah that's I loved good. it so I would still go to that even when I was in college I'd always be like oh that one fun that one fun church night. oh that's great that's great yeah. alright I'm gonna get back into um, some more of the adult kind of like stage yeah. of your spiritual thought that kind of bridges where, where that story left off and where we've already been, which is uh, marriage and Ukrainian last Everywhere, names Ukrainian and... last names. All right, I'll talk to you in a little bit. Okay, we're back with our final segment with Julia. So one thing that struck me, and it's 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 happened um, in a number of conversations, is you really responded in this visceral sense to the theatricality of it, right? Oh, yeah, sure. And so now here you are, right? You mentioned that you went to film school, right? You studied film? Yeah. Not film school about, in particular. Yeah. You, went, yeah. you studied film at Notre yeah, Dame. Yeah, I did like film theory. And then you are in a world of performance. I mean, you're totally. a performer and interviewer. Uh, but you're around performers. You're clearly interested in performers. Has that thrill been a source of a kind of, say, spiritual-like feeling in your life? Because I, I have the impression that maybe once you left Notre Dame that you you haven't really been in a church much since. Did you Did you go try to—once you came out to L.A., did you seek out— I didn't, know. You know, anything like that? And so— so you've been following what is clearly a resonant feeling, which is being in this world of performance and there's a theatricality to your work, to the work of the people you're interviewing. Has that been a kind of sustaining feeling for you? Do you think that has at times, 
I mean, did you do you think your spiritual impulse has lied dormant for quite some time? I mean, probably. I mean, that's a good way to put it. I would have to like sit back and think because I think I also if I like let's say if after this and you were like, by the way, actually my wife and I go to this cool rock and roll church, I'd be like, Ugh, sounds terrible. I'm not going to that. <laughs> you know, but part of me would be like, Oh, you know, I think I haven't found people because it's it's it is a community, you yeah. know, in your faith and church that hasn't been around me. And I haven't met anyone that belongs to a church, even of their own faith. You know what I mean? Like I don't have I've, I guess I have some um, friends that are Jewish that definitely go to temple and stuff like that, but I haven't met anyone that necessarily goes to church or that makes me confronted or think about it. Yeah, I go. And to I'm this. surprised because here in LA, not to you, but like here in yeah, LA, sure. you would think that there is something very theatrical somewhere, you know. But. Oh, and I'm sure there are. I mean, I know there are. Um, you know, my my parents when they come out to visit, they go to a a church where they are absolutely one of their favorite things to do now when they visit. They always make sure they come out over the weekend. Um, because they love to go to this mass where it's uh, very disparate, you know, ethnicities and oh. an enormous, like, I guess it, it is an extraordinary chorus. Um, and so they really love it. We have occasionally gone to this Unitarian Universalist church mm. in Pasadena called the Neighborhood Unitarian Universalist Church. And so they're not really any one religion. They're not, I mean, there's some, you get the sense that it's a lot of people who are raised with Christianity because the, just the kind of form of the service has a kind of hearkening to a kind of Catholic or, or Lutheran or Christian sort of ceremony, very progressive and in their ideas and very, very vocally progressive in the way that they, their coloring of their iconography and stuff like that. Mm. It is not at all, um, there's no Bible there. There's no Christian thing going on there, but there's something reverent happening there, which is interesting. We don't go all the time, but it sounds like I'm catching you at an interesting moment in your arc. Yeah. Uh, you know, that there's something that you just made a kind of beautiful pledge to someone, right? Yeah. And the act of the pledge inevitably gets you thinking about a lot of other things, right? What do I want the rest of my life to be? What do I want my family to be with this with this man and or partner, you know, whatever that is for whoever's listening. And uh, it opens, begins to open up thoughts that maybe you haven't, it doesn't sound like that you maybe were engaging too much with. doesn't sound like you were struggling much with your father or mother. No, not you at know, all. They, they weren't, you know, berating you for, you know, not going. Yeah, they're well aware. Yeah. Um, you have a healthy, you know, life with them. When you went back to visit, would you go to mass with them? Yeah, I think pretty much. I mean, they have... Just almost as a love for the family and the yeah, ritual. because it'd be like, yeah, Saturday, 5 o'clock mass, you're done in 45 minutes. Right, you go out to dinner. Go out to dinner and then do whatever while I was in town. Um, um, and we've been spoiled, actually, where my parents come, because my sister lives in New York City, I live here in LA. They oh. usually come to us because it's a little bit more exotic than always going back to Indiana. And when they've come... Um, I think also my parents are much older now. They'll come and they don't always. It's not like when we're in New York City or if we're in Los Angeles, um, we haven't actually gone to church, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, or so they're kind done... of like being cool about getting with your style. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe the way that you could interpret this is that 
you've been good. You when you go home, you kind of do the thing that the family did at home, and when they come to you, they sort of do the thing. Yeah, the way you do it. And there was one time my father, his friend, happened to be. Um, working in the downtown LA church. So he was like, would you want to go with me? Cause I'm going to go down and go with me as in drive me to downtown so I can say hi to my friend. And we went into the massive Catholic church in downtown LA and they have these that gorgeous, new modern one. Yeah. The modern one. And they have these gorgeous tapestries in there mm. that cover the entire wall. And I was like, wow, this place is beautiful. Right. Outside of the fact that I drive by it all the time, never even considered going in here. And you're like, Oh, I sometimes forget. You know, yeah, what, they're living museums. Living museums, exactly. Yeah, they obviously hold different connotations depending on your background, yeah, you know, or what the church meant to you. Or it's always interesting to me. I, I would say my my upbringing is very similar to yours. Um, much of my family is still very faithful and devout. Some of them are not, and there's a real kind of a mostly positive experience with you know the faith. But for me, something that wasn't able to kind of keep holding the thoughts I've had about religion enough to where I felt fully comfortable in that ritual. But, you know, at different times in my life, I've turned to these thoughts, whether they were positive moments or personally darker moments or whatever. Did you have, how long have you been out in LA, by the way? I've been here for now, um, like four years, a little over... Oh, so it's relatively, you were in New York for how long? I was in New York for like seven or eight. Okay, okay. Did you have moments where of difficulty where, you know, in your kind of adult journey post-college where there were moments of difficulty where maybe you considered what it means to like turn in the way that maybe you did as a child? You know, you turn up and pray or. I mean, I have to say I have lived, um, a good life in that way. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, New York is so tough that even if I think something had happened, my mind wouldn't have gone to faith for it. Do you know what I mean? My sister and I lived together for most of the time that I lived in the city. Okay. Um, and we spent a lot of time together. Um, although we would, this is uh, sort of random, but we would always go to Easter Mass together. We would still try and do that and then go to brunch or whatever with friends. We'd try and do that together every year. That's very cool. So and, clearly there was something. Yeah. And we would always get the time wrong. Like we would always, <laughs> we'd like, we were the worst. Like we would Google, we'd always try and go to Old St. Pat's, which is in um, downtown New York and it's gorgeous. And it's right. The I've actually been of, there. Have you been there? It's, yeah. I, it's I visited. like in Soho. Right. And it's um, the namesake of the giant St. Patrick's church in Midtown. And um, it's one of the oldest churches in the city. It's beautiful. And we'd always go and we'd always Google it and we'd be like, okay, what time is Easter mass? And we'd never actually look at the correct calendar. And we'd end up at the Spanish language one. At one time it was in Chinese or I shouldn't say Chinese. It was in Mandarin, you know, completely had it wrong, but we'd still sit through it and be like, we just... We just got to do it. That's great, though. <laughs> That's great. Classic New York story. Um, so do you think that questions like, do you believe in an afterlife? And questions like, like, have you had any particularly impressionable deaths in your life, like a grandparent or something um, that was difficult and that you made you engage with this thought for the first or a later time or something. Have you had some of these things start to come at you or are you in some ways you've been fortunate, I'll knock on wood right. for you, um, that 
that, you know, I have both of my parents, I'm fortunate in that way. You clearly have both of yours. Yeah. You have maybe, maybe not have had to face this too much, but have you had any of these moments where you, you've been struck by one of these things or have you had yet to maybe be struck so deeply about some of these thoughts to where you have had to engage at this level? Okay, what does it mean that this person's gone? And do yeah. I believe, you know, Sometimes I talk to them because it feels good to talk to them, but I don't really believe that. You know, yeah. do you have these, have you had these uh, conversations with yourself? I I definitely think that evolves over time as we get older. Like I think, you know, growing up, I think it was just sort of like the concept of something beyond was something in the way that I always have kind of believed in ghosts. And oh, rad. Okay. And I don't know I mean, if you want to talk more about this, but yeah, go on. I mean, I really do. I, I really I've had do another feel... friend of mine come on and talk about this. She's a writer and uh, a TV writer. And she, she was like, she was like, fuck you guys. I believe in ghosts. You know, yeah. she, she has like one of these attitudes with her friends. Like, don't give me any shit about it. I believe in ghosts. And I, and I've heard some stories. Yeah. So go on. Tell me a little bit know. more there's about what that means that to I, you. I feel like there is, I don't know. I think there is connections. And I think there is spirits. And I think energy does get left. I think I totally believe in all those sort of things. Cool. And so in many ways, like um, I was very close with my grandfather and when he died, I do feel like sometimes, yeah, like weird things will happen or whatever when, yeah, like when I was first moving, I, you know, the first thing that I found was this box of stuff that I had of his and I knew it was in a different box. I couldn't find it, but then it was in my carry-on so it didn't get lost in the move, a box oh. I got. You know, like little things like that where I'm like, oh, I think he was looking out. He made sure that those things were with me. And I do, and I think it's just a nice thing to help you cope with pain when someone is lost to think, no, they truly are in a better place. Sure. And that they're guiding us and that they're being helpful. And I do believe like just living a good life, you know, Um I mean, I'm not like a ghost conspiracy. You know what I mean, yeah, or whatever. No, no, no. I, but don't, I, totally I don't mean to put you into in, an uncomfortable place. But no, I, but I totally believe in energy, and um, will defend that to the core. You know. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, great. But so you, um, that's so that's cool. So you have in you know a specific example is your grandfather. Yeah. Um, do you? So you do you sense that in other places? Do you feel like in your daily life? Do you? I mean, clearly something is happening with yoga for you is a very meditative and deep spiritual experience yeah. at times. As I get that, I do Pilates actually. It's not quite the same. Um, it's a bit more aggro, just a tick more yeah. aggro than Pilates. I'm sorry, <laughs> than yoga. So, so I'm, by the end, I'm kind of like, dear God, what have no, I just yeah. done? But it was. But I love it, and there's a there's no doubt about it for me. A very meditative experience there, and um, so do you find that there is. Maybe you would say it's healing or something. Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely healing involved. I think, you know, like the idea of live a good life. You know, I don't think that there's someone keeping a check mark of everything that we do and that we're going to be judged with the weight of a feather mm, down the road or whatever. Mm. Although the good place on NBC has made me, you know, think of larger, I guess, questions. I, I love that show and I think it's brilliant that they've sort of made people really think about what could be in the afterlife. Oh, that's wonderful. But like, you know, I do think, and I hope that there, that there is more to life after this. You know, I don't know if I believe in rebirth and all this sort of stuff, but, you know, I do think it's important to have energy pass through generations. And I don't know. I think that there is something 
deeper well, there. I think that's really well, there's no doubt, right, that there's like studies about um traumatic past experiences can pass yeah. through generations in different ways. Uh and sometimes I might be talking out of something here, but I I feel like I've heard that there are studies of people that hold similar traumas but didn't were separated from parents and things like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, like studies where it's like it's not clearly not only nurture. Yeah. Part nature here, part part something about energy in the genes. So that's something maybe that you it, as I hear you is that right to think that you kind of absolutely. there's something about this that resonates for you. Yeah, and I'm definitely an emotional person. I mean, um it's funny because I, I, I'm totally like a crier. You know what I mean? So, like, I mean, I, I am too, to some extent. My wife is an epic crier compared to me. So you're, so you're very yeah. open with your emotions, free with very, your emotions. Yeah. And it's weird because we joke because it's like I, you I and can your be, husband. Yeah. And like, even like friends, because they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, you're so tough. Like, or you, your heart, you know, will like joke about these things. And I'm like, no, like I, I really get. I really feel emotions. I really feel energy and I really get that from people and I'll get really upset. And even like, you know, it, I should, it's not dumb by any means, but um, I've spent a lot of time in Savannah, Georgia going to this film festival. And I always feel like there is like a little bit of a weight on me when I'm in that city because there's just such like a, a sad history to that wow, city. And right. I do feel like when I walk around and you're, I can't not harp on certain things where they pointed out to me, I was like, Every sidewalk is just so incredible here. And they're like, well, it's because it's, you know, this dates back to slave times. This was made in the slave trade. It's like shale concrete. It, and and then I like can't walk on it anymore without thinking about it. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's been weighing on me all day. Just yeah, like how right. we don't even think about the incredible work that went into this and it's just gum all over it. You know, and I can't let that go. Right. And like those sort of things really weigh me down. And yet then I'll you know, hear bad news or whatever. And I'm like, whatever, it's fine. I don't care. But yeah. other things really hit me hard emotionally. So that's really interesting. So there's a, what it does, do they all, do they often take the form of a kind of social consciousness? Is that what you're saying? I think a little bit. It's like yeah. a news, whether it's a social conscious thing or it's a news thing, like you could find yourself actually really respond to something you yeah. hear. And, and, you know, I catch the pain myself of others. And, pain of, and I catch myself all the time because, um, we, I live in West Hollywood and there's a cat that we keep hearing at night and I'm like, I can't find that cat, but I feel bad. It's probably hungry. It's cold out at night. Mm. I think he needs, like, I'm like, should we put a box of like something out there you can sleep in? My husband's like, there's literally a tent city down the street that you've not commented on once. And you're like so worried about this cat. I'm like, you're right. They're yeah. human beings. You know, so it, it is very LA jaded, I guess, in many ways too, but things well, will hit me hard. that's a fun story to like yeah. take you know, yeah, take to piss note out of and yourself remember. or something. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, look, it's it is a. I feel that whenever I drive by. Um, uh, first of all, what you're saying is you can respond to any kind of emotional yeah. trigger, right? Yeah. I mean, you drive through Skid Row, and it's. I mean, if you have a, if you have any kind of sense of compassion, it's going to be difficult. For, you can have a different thought beyond the compassion, which yeah. is, well, you know that they're, it's mostly they're doing or it's mostly not they're doing or it's mostly LA's problem or it's mostly the nation's right. problem or We've whatever been hardened it is. to that in a way, yeah. And you have to in a city like this. You have to steal yourself. You can't walk around that much of a raw nerve or you're just not going to get through the day. But what you're saying is is that there's some... And, and, I, and I'm only going to press on this because you, you mentioned like a friend who's like, but you're so tough or whatever. Right. There's some tension in you where it's like clearly... And look, you talk about 
you're you're talking about pop culture a lot, and you're able to probably be uh, very critical of certain artistic things, and that's your job is to be thoughtful about artistic things, which don't have life and death attached to them. Yeah. But what you're saying is is kind of like maybe you put on a kind of again you'll have to tell me I'm just swinging at the fences here, but you can imbue a certain type of conversation with a more calloused energy of Julia. Right. But then there are certain types of conversations that maybe have more weight or reality to them where you're like, no, 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 actually, I'm very vulnerable here. Yeah, totally. And it surprises people that you're vulnerable to certain things. Absolutely. Because maybe the, a larger part of you is, you have the appearance of being callous about so yeah, many things. Yeah, and I can be super opinionated because of the way my work is. Like, I'm fine with throwing down what my, you my have ideas, you know what I mean? Because it's You like, wouldn't that's be engaging if you yeah. weren't throwing down your yeah. opinions. But then, you know, I'll cry too. Yeah. Guys, I'll cry. It's okay to cry. <laughs> in fact, that uh, we also know that there's that that exhibits a, um, a, a great deal of of strength of personality is being, a, you know, able to cry and not hate yourself for it exactly. or feel embarrassed. But I think that's cool. I think, again, I I hesitate to repeat myself, but it feels like I'm catching you at an interesting moment in your life yeah. where you're clearly aware of the things that these parts of yourself that are, they resonate with energy around you and there's a, a sense of a connection to the larger story. You can put the kind of day-to-day -day funny opinions or not life or death opinions into a certain box. You're a comedian. So there are certain things that you have to keep yourself from maybe on a day-to-day -day basis. But what you're also exhibiting is like, there's a, there is a, there's something larger that you really respond to that maybe surprises people around yeah, you when you bring it up. I think so. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I know. Sorry, this my poor God. Cough. Don't worry. We're going to edit out most of it, but not but this God, one yeah. part where I talk about how you're, how you're really going. Well, you know, look. I'm like, thank you. Good. Ugh. It's, um, it's good timing because we're at the end. Yes. Oh. So, uh. I'll let Julia get back to the, all the other talking she has to do today. Oh my gosh, all the talking. And wish you only the best with it. Uh, and, you know, the proper 7-Eleven on the way so that you can buy more cough drops. Yes. Ugh. And I'll just thank you for coming in. Thank it was, you. It was really beautiful to share. And I really enjoy, um, one of the things I enjoy the most about these conversations is like walking through them by a certain point, something kind of surprising pops up. It's almost like the person that's talking about it sort of forgot for a second that they think about energy in this particular way or that friends don't see this part of them. So it's lovely to uh, get to share that with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And thank you all for listening. Thank you.